You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Couple things, couple announcements you hear me say every week. Again, uh, if you're watching right now, um, feel free to if you pe- see people come on live or you you're seeing all the who's here and that sort of thing. Say good morning to them, welcome one another. The virtual handshake going on, it's fine. If you comment during the sermon during our time, that's just that's part of phase. That's okay uh, to do. We don't normally. Uh, hear all those comments during a sermon, but you can comment or share whatever, but, but use it as a time to be together uh, as a church. A um, couple things, again, just online this week, opportunities. If you've not yet joined us, um, if you've not yet joined Hannah on Tuesday afternoons at three for the, the ladies' tea time, the virtual tea time uh, on Zoom, Feel free to contact her, get the, get the invitation notice so you can click on the right links to get to that. We'd love to have you join us for that or join Hannah for that. And then also Wednesday night for our prayer meeting, uh, 6 o'clock is another Zoom meeting that you can be part of. Text or email me for information on that at 6 o'clock. Love to have, have many of you join us for that. Thank you. For those that are, have sent in your checks, your giving by mail, Thank you for doing that. Thanks for the extra effort. It's, just, it's a blessing uh, to see those come in. Now, they do come into the church. I am not opening them. I'm not checking who's giving what, all that sort of thing. I, I do see your return address, but, but um, I'm just sending those right on to Brandon. But I just want to say thank you for doing that. And also, um, if, you, if you have a church directory and have Brandon's address, feel free. You can just directly send them to him as well. I will get them uh, to him or... Or you can send them direct to his address. Uh, it's in Preston, but you can look that up in the church directory uh, and do it that way. Again, thank you for that. Talked to uh, Christina Hubka this past week and just want to, I didn't send this out in an email, uh, forgot to, and, um, or, or just, I didn't yesterday, but uh, she was talking about, she works in the nursing homes, that if you're into making some of these masks and sewing and doing that sort of thing, there is a need for those, and she has a, a need for them and can put them to use, or at least uh, if they have a situation that arises that they run out of the paper ones, they can use those. So if you're good with the sewing machine and, and say, well, I've heard about this, but I don't know where to do it, um, you might think about making some masks for Christina Hubka. And again, I think her address is in the directory. Um, you could send them to her or get in contact with her of what maybe she needs. And also just be praying for her. I don't know of a lot of others that are kind of direct on the front line. I think we have a few others that are working in some of the, like Wildwood and that sort of, those sort of places. Um, but pray for Christina. She's got to deal with this and kind of the, the quarantining from, from Jonathan um, because of her position and working in the nursing home. So just be in prayer for her. And, and in a minute, we'll, I'll be praying and praying for her as well. Um, I have mentioned the church directory. It, it is in your inbox if you get emails from the church. If you don't, let me know. But um, it is in your inbox if you would like to uh, just use that. You can print it off or use it. I think we'll send out maybe another one this week. We'll update it. We've got, got another name to put in there. Um, but hopefully you use that and just hear my encouragement again. Find somebody, find a name you don't know. You've never even, you didn't meet them while you were here and say, I've not met you, but you're in the directory. How are you doing? Can we pray together and have a great week? I just encourage you, find ways to contact one another. This does not mean need to be a time where we're separated and hunkered down. Um, we, we are kind of in our homes and that sort of idea, but not, we can use 
um, the internet, the phone calls. So again, my encouragement towards you in that. So I'm going to do something a little different today. Before we get into our sermon, I just want to pray a little bit. And I have some people here in mind I want to pray for and, and would just ask you to join in prayer with me as we just pray for our church body and as we begin our time. So join me at, in prayer here at home. Father, thank you that we have a reason today to, to celebrate. If Christ be not raised, our faith is futile, but you are risen. And so our faith is strong in a living Savior. So Lord, we exalt you today. We worship you today. I want to bring before you, Lord, certain people in our midst, in our congregation that are involved or, or different things are going on. Just one, we pray for Christina. We want to just join in prayer Lord, would you strengthen Christina and Jonathan during these days where there's some sort of, they get to see each other, but some sort of separation. And just pray, Lord, for your encouragement in Christina's heart. Guide her to do her job administrating in these nursing homes well, to have wisdom and for the needs that arise. We just pray that you give her wisdom and uh, courage and boldness in Christ. And so we just ask your blessing on that. Lord, uh, Cindy Bandell, it's been watching these online. She's asked prayer for Diane, uh, her cousin, Diane Henderson, and her husband, Gary, and they're separated. Gary's on hospice. Lord, you know the situation. You know they're, they're separated even at this hard time. And so I just pray, Lord, would you just give comfort to Cindy and Gary? Lord, would you, even by your hand, bring healing to Gary, that this would not be the end, that he might live longer for your glory. But Father, no matter what, would you just strengthen this, this family during, it's, just, it's a hard time and compounded by the, the separation, so strengthen them. Guide Maury and Cindy to know how to encourage them, and I pray your word would, would just bring light and, and rest, your word about Christ to their lives, so guide them in this. Father, think of our farmers out there who are going to begin or have begun the planting season. And we would just pray for, Lord, your protection over them. Would you just guide them in the fields in this unique season this year and the unknowns of what the future holds for crops and all those sorts of things. We just entrust what they're doing to you. We just pray for your protection. And that as they ride in that tractor, uh, plowing the fields, getting them ready, Lord, stir in their hearts uh, desire for the greater planting of your word amongst uh, people, amongst the lost around us. But Lord, we do pray for their safety, for their families that endure these long hours. Lord, I pray each of us would have eyes that are turned to Christ. I pray that you would give each of us eyes to see opportunities in our neighborhoods, um, where we are at, as we see people, maybe we're six feet apart, whatever it is, but we see people give us eyes to see the opportunities to share of the rock solidness of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So guide us in those moments to share, Father. Lord, I pray for Carol. She uh, sounds like she's beginning this Creation Learning Center and, and, and uh, opening by appointment. We just pray your blessing on this center, or that you would use this place for your glory, that your name would be known in this place and pray that you would guide the efforts there, strengthen Carol uh, in this operation. And then, Lord, we just join as a church online. We join together and pray for these leaders. We pray for these, these doctors, these, this council around uh, the president and vice president. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Congress 
and our state leaders, our Governor Walls and the other leaders here in the state uh, and in Iowa as well. Lord, we, we just pray that you would strengthen them with your wisdom. We pray for them. We lift them up to you. We pray that they would be on their knees crying out to you, that they would sense their need for you and you would uh, grow them in faith during this time, help us and how we come under them and, and even, Lord, the, the liberties that we hear and, and the challenge to some of those with the churches in different places. Lord, grant wisdom to your church, grant wisdom to the leadership of our country and I just pray that, that no matter what time we have, we would share the gospel and go forth boldly with that um, what we pray for them. Lord, thank you for this time we have together um, online as it, as it is. We thank you for hearing these requests in your name. Amen. I'll take a drink of water as we start. Well, we are in, we are just going to continue. Um, We've just been kind of trucking along in Philippians, and I think it's fitting that we just keep moving on. I think last week looking at the humility of Christ, and this week looking at the exaltation of Christ in Philippians 2. So find a Bible. You gotta, you're going to have a little time, but find a Bible, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 9 this morning together. Um, as you're getting there, I forgot to mention there is, I put, a, I put a, just a simple YouTube list on our, on our YouTube channel, Bethany Bible Church, Leroy, if you look that up in YouTube, um, of some Easter songs, if you want to do some singing as a family later on, that's there for you. But uh, can head to Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. While you're getting there, I got some pictures to show. I got more than one this week. I, maybe I had two last week, but um, uh, got a couple here. So Scavels faithfully sending in pictures. I love it. This one's from Malachi. Um, you probably can't see the detail on this one, but he's got the, the cross. I love the, the perspective there. And then um, Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Malachi, for drawing that one. I've got an anonymous one to remain anonymous that came in this week. Another Another one, so adults, those that, that are drawing as well, you're drawing besides your kids, you can send these in. It's okay. I won't say your name, but this one came in. Um, and you've got kind of a, in picture form this, we talked about the preexistence of Christ on his throne, humbly came to earth, the humble road to the cross, born as a baby, and then went to the cross. And Psalm 118, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You can see that there in the picture. How am I doing? I get it at the right place, George? It's close. Okay. All right. I love it. It's like old school PowerPoint here. So this one is from uh, Micah. He's got two sides. One is, uh, I think, the people of God going through the gate of the Lord, he said. And then on this side, he's got the uh, Jesus nailed to the cross. It says above there, King of the Jews. You've got the soldier. looks like somebody weeping here down below. Thank you, Micah, for drawing that. Really appreciate that. And then I got one more that fits for today. I think Malachi was thinking ahead here because he knew the, the end. He is risen. You've got the tomb. And it's an empty tomb. And it will remain empty. He has defeated the grave. So thank you for sending those in. Kids, if you're drawing and your parents have some, some old paper around to draw, please Please draw it. You can, you can email it in. You can um, 
send it in however and do that. Well, by this time, hopefully you're at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And so let's, let's listen directly from the word of God. We'll pray again and then, and then look at what, what is being said here. Listen to God's word, beginning in verse, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray for us again. Lord, we just come now before your word in three, three verses that we're going to look at. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this today, Lord, would you work amongst us in the hearts, separated as we are through the, the internet, the, the cable lines, the fiber optics, all those things. Lord, I'm just praying for your spirit to work. Work within me, the speaker. Work within the hearer. Lord, as, as there are distractions in the home that can cause us to, to kind of tune out for a while, Father, I pray those would be minimized. And yet, Lord, help us to be joyful for what we can capture and what we can hear. But I pray, Lord, you would tune us to your word. Tune us to hear from you in this time. And may you just bless this time. We pray, Spirit, uh, reveal to our hearts what you want to say to each one of us. Convict where we need conviction, where we need to believe and, and doubt no longer. Help us to believe. And I pray that in your name. Amen. I want to begin with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, something he says regarding this passage. <clears throat> says this, but the true Christian's heart leaps for joy even when cast down by diverse or numerous sorrows and temptations at the remembrance that Christ is exalted for in that he finds enough to cheer his own heart. You ever considered that when faced with trial and sorrow that thinking on Christ's exaltation brings cheer to the heart? I'm just going to speak personally, I think in trial or sorrow, um, we love, and there's a good reason, we love the scriptures that speak of God's, his peace in our lives, or his comfort, or that he's a refuge to us, and those are wonderful places to go, or Psalm 23, if you're working Sunday school class and memorizing that still, these good scriptures of that. But Spurgeon here sees within our passage today a reason for cheer. There's a comfort that stems from the exaltation of Christ. What he's saying, what Spurgeon is saying, is that even though the true believer in Christ may be cast down, may be facing a trial or going through suffering, his or her heart is still joyful for one reason, and that is that Christ is exalted. And it's the exaltation of Christ that gives joy to the believer. I want to challenge us today even as we continue to deal with what looks kind of this long-term coronavirus in our land, the economic woes uh, of this that are, that are going to trickle down, um, most likely. There's the uncertainty of what the, the news on today will share, that sort of thing. There's the fear of what might occur. There's the living together in tight spaces, maybe already this morning. It's not gone so well as you try to get everybody to the, we're going to get ready for church and we're going to sit on the couch, we're going to watch, that sort of thing. There's, there's this tension. 
or there's a dozen other trials not even related to this that are still happening in the midst of this time. So how can Spurgeon here see the the exaltation of Christ as the grounds for cheer in the heart? I'm not going to re-preach his sermon. Uh, If you want to find it, you can look online, Charles Spurgeon's sermon, sermon number 101. He preached it on November 2nd, 1856. It's a little old. Uh, I don't think they had Facebook back then uh, for him or any live services other than live, live. But I just present this to you, what he's kind of spoken as a foundation as we look at this passage. And and may your heart be led to joy as you see Christ exalted here in this passage. So with that kind of flowing in our mind, we're going to come back to this passage. Now, to get us to where we're at, I will just briefly review. Last week, I spoke of the the different states of Christ and somewhat a chronological aspect. You've got Christ, his preexistence as God from eternity. Not Christ didn't become God when he was born uh, as a babe in Bethlehem. He always has been God forever, stretching back eternity. But then you come to his humiliation, This, this Christ Jesus being in the form of God. He was equal with God, and yet yet humbling himself, being born in the likeness of man, the incarnation. And then you've got his active obedience throughout his life to the Father in all things, pure, without guilt. He's the innocent lamb. There's no blemish of sin. All the temptation Satan puts his way, he, he, he faces it and, and triumphs victoriously through all those things. Whereas the first Adam fell at temptation, Christ does not fall. He actively obeys all the way, and really all the way to the point of death, death on a cross. Not only on that cross is the external humiliation, pain of that crown of thorns, the nails and the arms, the legs, the difficulty breathing, as we learn about from different medical people, the whipping, the scourging he had before this moment, but then also the spiritual side, the the darkness that moved over the land and how much greater the weight of the punishment of our sins that was poured out on him. The father turning his face away. Christ bearing the iniquity, the sins of us all. Dying on the sinner's behalf and then being buried, buried in a tomb. That was Friday. And yet, as we look to our text today, the story does not end with his humiliation. Now, there's another state, as it were, and it has its beginning on that Sunday morning, and it's Christ's exaltation. If you look at your text between the period of verse 8 and the therefore of verse 9, we have the resurrection of Christ. I know it doesn't say resurrection right in that space. You've got a little space there. But that was the beginning of his exaltation as Jesus and Lord. That first Sunday morning before the dawn of day, we we read in the book of Matthew that the angel of the Lord announced to the women, those women who had come to see, uh, see the tomb, he said to them, he said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. And then later, Jesus is going to meet them as they head out to tell the other disciples. And and when they see who he is, they take hold of his feet. And the text in Matthew says they worshipped him. 
is exalted. Now you could say there's a certain exaltation even in his death, and we're not, not looking at that today, but this, this beginning, this resurrection, this exaltation of Christ. A few verses later, even in the book of Matthew, we read at the end of that same book, we see Jesus telling his disciples those famous words of that great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to to me. Those are exalting words. And then he commissions his disciples, go therefore, make disciples. Later on, he ascends to the heavens where he sits at the right hand of God to return again one day in the same way he departed and and blow that final blow to Satan. And he will sit on his throne of judgment and he will usher in the new heaven and the new earth. The writer J.I. Packer describes Christ's exaltation this way. He says this, Christ rose, ascended, and now by his father's appointment reigns as king over the world and the church. And he lists some, some things that he's doing, sending the Holy Spirit and thereby applying to us the redemption that by dying he won for us drawing those given to himself, interceding for them, guarding, guiding, and caring for them as a shepherd cares for his sheep. He is currently bringing many sons to glory according to the Father's plan, and he will continue to do so until all God's elect have come to repentance and new life. You see the joy of Christ's exaltation. All of that is because he's been risen and exalted. If he's not been risen, not exalted, we have much to fear. But he is exalted. So let's look at that in verses 9 through 11 and seek to to understand the magnitude of who Jesus is and, and then conclude really by asking another question. How are we to live then in light of this? This passage is is centered on answering some of that, have this mind, this example of Christ. How do we live in that example? So let's first look at the passage. So look at verse 9 with me. And we'll read it again, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The word, therefore, connecting verse 8 to verse 9, it's got the sense of result of what has come before. So we see God now, Christ, who was uh, emptying or being made nothing, going to the cross. Now we've got God acting. Therefore, as a result, God the Father, he's acting and doing, and he's doing two things here in verse 9 as a result of Christ's humiliation. Number one, God is highly exalting Jesus. And number two, God is bestowing on him the name that is above every name. So number one, he's highly exalting Jesus. And here... Christ's humiliation has resulted in, or it's the reason behind Christ's further exaltation. Now, this is not to say, I do not believe it's saying here, Jesus somehow kind of earned back that status of God. Or Jesus was kind of made less God in his humiliation, and then after the resurrection kind of made more God. I don't think Paul is speaking necessarily to Jesus' deity, though we see it in in here, But it's an exaltation that springs from humility. It's what Jesus has spoken about in a a few other places. One is Matthew 23, 12. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We see that here in Paul's Paul's line, in, in this hymn that we talked about last week. 
So there's Christ's great humiliation, his not grasping at the privilege of equality with God, but taking on the likeness of man, dying on the cross, and it leads to God the Father then exalting him and then further giving him the name that is above all names. Now that's the second one, this name above all names. And that name, one commentator points out, was it was not only a means, the name of somebody, not only a means of distinguishing one individual from another. There's Tom, and there's Barry, and there's so-and-so. Yeah, those names do that. But also, he says, it was also a means of revealing the inner being, the true nature of that individual. I think we say that around us. We see names. We know people's names. Uh, Maybe if you have been wronged by a particular person named so-and-so, you're probably not going to name your children that name or whoever that was. A name means something. It, it, I think it, it means a bit less maybe than what it did in terms of, of all the meanings of the, the wording behind it, but, but it is so important, right, to have a good name. Is this person trustworthy? Is this person kind of just fudges the truth and not a man of integrity? Your name means something. And so it does here. You want the name, you want a trustworthy name. Well, Jesus' name is highly exalted. It's worthy of praise because his character, his personhood is far above all other names. In Acts 4, verses 11 through 12, you can look there or just listen to me read it, but Peter says this to the Jewish leadership as it relates to Jesus' name. He says, this Jesus, in Acts 4.11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. That's kind of, I think, Christ's humiliation, which has become the cornerstone. So the stone rejected by you in humiliation has become the cornerstone, his exaltation. And there is, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no, you can probably finish this verse, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is none. There's no other name. There's one name. Dear listener, or if you're watching us online right now, do you know that name? Is that name precious to your soul? Do you realize what the Lord Jesus has accomplished on the cross for sinners? The punishment we deserved in our sin was taken by him on the cross. And so trusting in him, repenting and putting our faith in him, we receive forgiveness and reconciliation with our God, peace with God through Christ Jesus. You know that name. That's where our hope, that's where everlasting life is in that name. It's not the famous names of those in Hollywood. It's not if we've got their autograph. It's not... In our name, there is one name, the name of Jesus. Well, as we continue, two other questions are going to be answered here. One is, who's going to bow to that name? And the second question, what are they going to confess? And that's in verses 10 and 11. So 10, right now, who will bow? Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Question for you. At the name of Jesus, who will bow? Every knee will bow. I I think Paul's language here of every knee 
in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I think it's, it's a way of saying the whole universe will bow. Everywhere, knees will bow. One commentator says this. He says, the hymn of Christ puts all three realms of the universe under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. All angels and demons, all human beings, and indeed all creation will bow at the name of Jesus. The whole universe will openly express total submission before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what do they confess? That's verse 11. In verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word to confess here in verse 11, every tongue confess, it's got that idea of to say the same thing. It's, it's kind of the, this, this same speech almost, maybe if you, if you will, that, that all will acknowledge with bowed knee and tongue and say Jesus is Lord and say the same thing. Now, what I don't think you have here, this every tongue confessing Jesus Christ is Lord, I don't think what we're seeing here is a case for universalism. When I say that, what I mean is that, that somehow in the end or, or at a certain point, all men are going to confess Jesus as Lord and thereby be saved. I don't think this is a confessing Jesus as Lord in a sense of salvation. That would go against the whole account of God's word. So it's not that everyone's going to confess Jesus as Lord in terms of repentance, obedience, submission, that idea. But I do think... All, whether believer or not, will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They may not be today. In fact, they may blaspheme his name. When they hit their thumb with the hammer, they may curse the very name above all names. They may look at life situation and curse this name or curse when something else goes wrong, but not one day. One day, all will bow and confess in, in right sense of, of worship. But if you wait till that one day, that day of judgment, it's going to be too late. The time of judgment is not the time to call on Jesus as Lord. The time is today, this hour. You have no idea what the next minutes or hour will bring. And you don't want to be faced before the Lord of judgment, having put it off. I thought, I'll get to that sometime. I'll get serious with the Lord at some moment. Today, acknowledge him as Lord. Consider his lordship today, this day, this, this Easter, this resurrection Sunday, and then humbly submit to him as Lord and Savior. Let me just add one more thing here that I ran across in my study as it relates to Jesus as Lord. You see that there, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All through the section, you've got reference to the name. You see it kind of repeated there? You've got the name above all names. You've got the name which every knee will bow to and kind of, in essence, uh, not stated but, but understood. It's the name every tongue will confess. And if we read too quick, we miss it. But in fact, I think Paul is not so much pointing to the name of Jesus, precious as it is, that name of Jesus. I'm not saying that. But, but the name of Jesus here as the Lord. OK, 
Okay? Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's this commentator, his name is Walter Hansen. You'll probably hear me use him again. I'm using some of his commentaries. We go through Philippians. He pointed this out, and here's what he says. The hymn dramatically postpones the announcement of the divine name given to Jesus until the last line, which is where we're at in verse 11, when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is not some mere man exalted to a higher place, but he bears the name of Lord, God. It's the Old Testament way of saying Yahweh. Again, Hansen says this, the name Lord identified Jesus with the one and only God of Jewish monotheism. That means the God, the one God idea, the creator and sovereign of all. Jesus as Lord is worthy of all worship in heaven and earth and under the earth. He's the one who has all authority that we saw or thought about at the end of Matthew. But for our remaining time today, as we kind of close this out, I just want to bring up what's potentially the great challenge of this particular section of Philippians to bring us back to the context, if you will. And it kind of goes like this. If you said to me, Maybe you're saying at home, I don't know if you will. Uh, Pastor Mike, last week you said that Paul is writing this section, especially uh, verse 5 here, to call the Philippians to follow the example of Jesus. So Paul in verse 5 is saying, have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus or which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, so is Christ the, the great example? He's much more than that, but as an example, so you have this mind, humble, that idea. But today we see Jesus highly exalted. So, so how are we to live in light of this? Does this mean that by our humiliation, we're going to become little gods too? Is that what Paul's getting at? We, we know that's not true, but we th- maybe we want to think on that a little bit. For us, I think the part of humility makes sense. We can, I mean, not perfectly, we need God's help, but we can model that. We can go, okay, Jesus was humble, so therefore I ought be humble, but, but this section's not as easy. How do we model Christ's exaltation? Let me, let me try to answer that, and um, I'm just going to trust the Spirit works through, through words here and, and thoughts uh, through this, but try to, try to answer that. How do we model this exaltation? What does that look like? Now, there's one place, First Peter, and there's other places, but uh, one in James, I can't remember the verses right now, but First Peter 5, 6 commands humility, Two believers commands it in this way, and you'll be familiar with this word. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's to us. So humble yourself, so at the proper time he's going to exalt you. Does, does that mean then, based on Paul's words here, that, okay, someday every knee is going to bow to us, or uh, they're going to confess us as Lord? The simple answer, No. No, we, we know to God alone is the glory. But perhaps a deeper, maybe as we think through an answer, would point us back to Paul's heart for Christ. Think about it this way. From what you know of Philippians, if I asked you now, having studied it up to this point through Philippians, and I, and I asked you, what is Paul's greatest desire? What does he want? 
What does Paul live for? What would you say? You can say it out loud at home. What would you say? Chapter 1, verse 21, that we've looked at before, I think gives us the answer. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul lives for his greatest desire is for Christ. Therefore, it's impossible to believe that what Paul simply has in mind here in our passage is a a humility that's just going to lead to our own exaltation. You know, just act like Jesus. If you're humble, you too can be exalted. It's kind of the self-help program, like just be like Jesus in that way. I don't think that's where he would have us go. I think for Paul, if he's humbled, he's going to do it for the sake of Christ. If he's in prison, he's going to see the advance of the gospel. If there's humility, he sees it for Christ. Paul is unified to that of Christ. I think that's huge. So therefore, any exaltation of Christ is really Paul's exaltation. If Christ is exalted, then Paul sees that, I would say, as as his own exaltation. Paul's conjoined. He's united to the life of Christ. So if Christ suffered in humility, then so will Paul. If Christ be exalted, Paul will rejoice for that's Paul's highest goal because he's in Christ. Not, an ex- not a self-exaltation, but glorying in that Christ is exalted. Let me quote, it's a little longer, quote again from Spurgeon one last time. He says it well when he says this. You must seek and learn to live wholly on Christ. To sorrow when you see Christ maligned and dishonored. Let me just add here, I think I've said this before, I'll say it again. When my grandpa, Grandpa Croker, when he talked about people that would use the name of of Jesus in vain or, or swear using that name, tears would come to his eye. I think he caught the idea of when Christ is maligned, when he's dishonored, then so too we are. Let me continue with Spurgeon. Um, Let me start off. You must seek and learn to live wholly on Christ, to sorrow when you see Christ maligned and dishonored, to rejoice when you see him exalted, and then you will have constant cause for joy. Sit down now, O reviled one, poor, despised, and tempted one. Sit down, lift up your eyes, see him on his throne, and say within yourself, little though I be, I know I'm united to him. He is my love, my life, my joy. I care not what happens so long as it is written, the Lord reigns. So how does Christ's exaltation inform our living for him and bring cheer to our soul? It ought to humble us to even stand before him to recognize who he is. He is highly exalted. His name is above every name. He is worthy of all worship and praise. Secondly, it gives us hope. His exaltation gives us hope because what? He reigns. Jesus reigns completely over COVID-19, over your life, over this universe. He's exalted and he reigns. Number three, his exaltation, I think, destroys our own 
pride, destroys our own pride. When we bow and confess, we say, Jesus, you're the name above all names. And we exalt you. It destroys our own pride. It says, my name's not that important. I can be humble. It's not about my name. It's not about my being exalted. I can humble myself that Christ in my life be exalted to live for his glory. And even as Paul ends this section, to the glory of God the Father, again, all glory to God be. So I close with this question, can you join with Spurgeon to say, I care not what happens so long as it is written, the Lord reigns. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we have much to celebrate that you reign and you are exalted. And yet, if we're honest as well, we would confess that it has been and is so easy for our flesh to want to exalt self, me first, my glory, my name. Do people know what I've done? Do they respect me? And we put our pl- ourselves in the place that Christ ought to own, his reign, so that when, when we're exalted, we're, we're pointing to Christ. When we're humiliated, we're pointing to Christ, that we're just united to you, Lord Jesus. So Lord, where we face humbling circumstances, help us to look to you and cry out in comfort and say, he reigns, you reign. And where we're exalted, Lord, help us to point the glory back to what you have done. All things are from you, to you, for you. Your glory alone. Lord, guide us to live for your glory this week as we're as we're uh, hunkered down with people in our house, as we're meeting people on the street or different places Uh, in the grocery stores, calling people on the phone, may we proclaim one name, the name of Jesus, and not our own. I ask for this, Lord, by your spirit, your power, your name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.